take on it. Luke will have kind of a different take on it. But they're all significant because God chose all those guys to interpret and write down this story. So there's definitely some value to that. So Matthew 16, verse 21 through 20 is what we're reading. You can find it in Mark 8, 31 through 33. And you can find it in Luke chapter 9, I think verse 22. And then if I lied or if I was wrong about any of that, you can let me know. Because it's always fun to pick out other people's mistakes. Alright, so let's. the title of the message is The Mind of a Disciple. The Mind of a Disciple. Because that's what we're going to be centered uh, around here. That's what we're going to be looking at. Um, Jesus, uh, this is a heavy-duty conversation. I got to tell you, like, reading this passage and looking at it, um, I was pretty excited uh, to see this passage, to see this exchange, and to see Jesus' response. I think it helps clarify a lot of things for me. It helps set things um, in a particular perspective that's helpful for me, and hopefully it does for you too. So, look at, take a look at this first slide here. This first slide here um, is, uh, is going to be a picture of uh, two guys uh, in a basketball game battling for position. Alright, battling for position. Now, I show you that because, as you know, um, you know, I love sports, love basketball, love playing. I coached. And um, while I was coaching, it was at a Christian school. And so... Um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun, did a lot of good things. And so each year, uh, and I think I was there for a total of six years, five years, some, I think six years. What we do each year is we have like a team motto or a team slogan to begin each year just to kind of get the guys on board, get us all focused. And usually the team slogan and motto had something to do with Christianity, the Bible, and then it also played in like some sort of terminology from basketball. So like they would have both, you know, together. And that'd be the thing we'd say in the huddle. We'd be saying it all season long and we'd be on the bus ride saying it and it would just be ingrained in their heads. And so as I was thinking about some of this stuff, um, I, I was trying to go back and remember all of them. And personally, I could not go back and remember all of them. And I was the one who was like, was praying for them and asking God, you know, for these. And I couldn't come, I could come up with some of them. And so what I did is I texted, you know, one of the players. And I was like, hey, you know, hey Dan, hey D, you remember, you know, any of the, uh, I said, do you remember the first one from the first year, our first motto, our first team motto? And so he texted me back. So that's why I took out my phone. It's not because I'm being disrespectful. I just, I wanted to show you uh, the text here. It's pretty funny. So I said, hey, D, what was our team model for our first year of Westwoods? Right away, instantaneous. He goes, play ball, live God. That was our first one. First year. I was like, man, that's solid. That is good. Like, yeah, Lord, that is a good one. Play ball, but live God. So like it was a game. You know, we just play this thing. You know, we try and do our best, try and honor God in it. But, you know, honestly, when the game is over and we're outside the lines, like that's the part that really matters and we live for that. But we play ball. I was like, man, that's good stuff. And so I go, D, you are awesome. God is so good. I said, you remember any of the other ones? Right away, he comes back again. He goes, ha, 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 yeah. He goes, number one, he goes, play ball, live God. He goes, you came up with that one. He goes, number two, clear out like a man. He said, John and Justin came up with that one. He even knows he's coming up with these. He says, John and Justin came up with that one. And he goes, number three, he goes, uh, light it up. He said, because Paulson wanted everyone to remember his jump shot because he lost it when he went to Florida. And then the fourth one here, he remembers four of them, was Iron Man. He said, because we needed a tough name uh, to at least make us think we were tough. 
right? So he remembers all that stuff, all these sayings, right? And he remembers who's saying them and how they even came up, which is pretty awesome. And, and so, you know, as I was thinking about this message, I was uh, thinking about clear out like a man, you know, that year, whatever year that was, second or third year, clear out like a man. And by clearing out, uh, the, the terminology is like uh, synonymous with boxing out. So that's what the picture is. You got two guys boxing out for position. Right, because what happens is the name of the game really in any sport is you want possession and you want to do well with your possessions. And if you're going to increase the time with the possession, chances are you're increasing your advantage in that game. And so a big part of basketball, which maybe doesn't get maybe a lot of the highlight reels or a lot of press, you know, is rebounding. In order to get the ball, you know, you have to box out. And so what that means is you have two guys like that who are battling inside the paint, the area close to the hoop, as soon as the ball goes up. And what you're supposed to do when you box out properly is your attention's like 70-30. It's like 30% on the shot, but it's like 70% on the guy behind me. Because no matter what happens, I want to try and make sure he can't get around me. You know, So you're low, you know, you're, you're exerting a lot of effort, you're trying really hard, you're focused, it's physical, it's tough. It's aggressive. You're trying to just clear him out no matter what. Even if that ball bounces and falls over there somewhere, I get there first. So I just worry about clearing him out. Creating that boundary, guarding him out, so that way he can't get over there. And this passage really helps tie that together for us spiritually. Clearing some things out of our lives in a very physical, tough way. where We're guarding stuff out. And these guys are battling right here. Two big, strong guys, you know, trying to keep, trying to gain possession of something and keep somebody out, right? It's a really good mental picture to help us, you know, with that. And this interaction um, that we're finding here between Jesus and Peter, we see kind of a no-nonsense Jesus here. I mean, just last week, he says, Peter, man, great answer. And you go, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And not necessarily upon Peter, but upon his confession of faith and upon Jesus, I'm going to build this church. So that was last week and last conversation. And then Jesus is like saying, hey, listen, you know, I know you're seeing me do these things, heal these people, um, have really this miraculous life, raise people from the dead. But actually, I'm going to be tortured, you know, and killed, and I'm, I'm going to rise, you know, on the third day. And Peter's like... No, that makes no sense. They can't have that. For the first time, we have something good. We have something right. It says in the Old Testament, you're supposed to come. You're supposed to set us free. You're finally showing us the true way, you know, to God and to Christianity. It's not right. It's not going to happen. And then you get no-nonsense Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Not Pope or, you know, not Master Peter. Just get behind me, out of my way. Clearing that stuff. No, I can't even have that enter my mind. There can't even be a possibility for another way to take care of sin other than what God has set for me. Can't even entertain that thought. He's clearing that out. You know, like a man, can't even entertain that. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, everybody else was around. You know, some things are going to happen while you're around me and following me, and you're not going to understand it. But you know what? Take up your cross. Come follow me. You want to be my disciple? A lot of times that's going to mean what I'm saying is not going to match up with what you're thinking. And that's kind of the ball game here, and that's what's going to happen. 
And then he goes into talking about what value you know there is to actually losing your life and then gaining life in return. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff. So I have three observations, and I got three applications to follow up with those observations from the passage. All right? So the first observation here. First observation we talked about. Jesus' words did not match with Peter's thoughts. Right? So let's look back at the passage. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, criticize him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So what Jesus was telling them wasn't matching up with what Peter thought Jesus, really God, should be doing, with what the Messiah should be doing. Because as far as Peter's concerned, he's like, listen, when the Messiah comes, he sets us free. He sets us free. Like, he should set us free from Rome, you know? Bring, make things right again. The best thing that's ever happened to us spiritually should not be taken away from us. That, that just seems all wrong. Seems, right, all wrong in Peter's mind. And I think for us, it, it really shouldn't be that surprising because we kind of do the same thing. Certainly with God and with Jesus, and it says that His ways are definitely higher than our ways. As far it says, as far as high from the heavens, you know, to the earth, that's how like His ways are to us. We just can't even comprehend them. So this caused us to ask the question of who and what about God, because we don't want to fall into that same trap, right? We don't want to fall in that same trap as far as. You know, well, I really thought this about God, but I guess really, you know, that's not it. Because that can really rock your world and really rock your faith when you have certain ideas or expectations of God and they don't really come exactly how you thought that they would. So what we want to do is want to make sure that what we're thinking matches up to the Word. That's what we want to do. We want to make sure that what we're thinking matches up to with what God actually said. So the good news for us is that like, we're after the fact. This is like a couple thousand years later. So we have the opportunity and the advantage to like look back and say, okay, is what I'm thinking, does it actually match up with what God says? So that's one observation. We'll talk about what to do with that in a minute. Here's a second observation. Jesus had zero tolerance for the wrong mind. Jesus had zero tolerance for the wrong mind. So Jesus had extreme intolerance to even minor infringements to things contrary to God's will, God's mind, and God's plan. That's big time right there. He had extreme intolerance to even minor infringements to things contrary to God's will, God's mind, and God's plan. So verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan! You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter possibly suggesting, hey, listen, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go through with this. And Jesus doesn't even entertain that thought for a minute. Doesn't even give it just a second's really worth of notice because he knows in his heart of hearts what he really should be doing. He knows it. And that's very difficult when you know something in your heart of hearts and somebody like gives you some other information and it sounds like really well and it would just be so much easier to do that. You know, but we can't. We can't. And Jesus' approach was actually sort of aggressive. 
and really assertive to it. And he even called him a name. Like, didn't his mom tell him better than that? You can't call him names. But he called him a name. He just was not having it. No, I can't have it. You have to be aggressive. The interesting thing is that Jesus then says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for me will find it. You know, it's interesting that the cross, you know, at that point, he didn't go on the cross yet. Like, he didn't die yet. So all they knew about a cross is they just knew that the cross was just a place where um, thieves, robbers, criminals, that's where they would serve their time and serve for their crime. Like, he didn't do the cross thing yet. So for them, they just see, what, 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 the cross, whoever wants to be my disciple needs to be on the cross? You mean like, you know, what the Romans do with the criminals? You know, like, what does he deal with that? So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, unless you submit to me and carry that cross and put to death those things that are in you that need to be dealt with, you can't really come follow after me. They were very familiar with, you know, the term the cross. So it'd be like, you know, Jesus said, hey, listen, unless you put to death or you know, put in the chair. You know, we know the chair, you know, because people have spent time in the chair. And Unless you put that stuff in the chair, you know, you can't really follow after me. So Jesus had zero tolerance for that stuff. So his words didn't match with Peter's thoughts. He had zero tolerance for the wrong mind. And observation number three is that life is found in a surprising place. Let's take a look to see where life is actually found. So a happy, successful life, where do you think you would find it? Would you find it in more money, in doing what you've always dreamed to be doing, um, being the most loving person on the planet? Well, here's what Jesus says. Verse 25 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So he says... Life is found when we actually give it away. Then we actually truly live. There's uh, this movie that comes every time. Anybody have like a movie, you know, that like whenever it comes on TV, you've probably seen it like a hundred times that you just like keep watching it. You know, it's just, you know, you're just into it. You just watch it. So like for guys, sometimes it's rocky. You know, you just, you've seen it a million times that you still get sucked into watching it. And um, for Julie... It's uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Like, I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I've personally seen that movie, but every time it comes on TV, like, we watch that. So an- another movie that comes on TV, and I was thinking of, you know, from this um, passage, believe it or not, I'm kind of twisted, um, but it's from the movie The Replacements. You know, everybody see the movie The Replacements? So The Replacements is a movie where it's like, it's all these ex-athletes, and so what happens is, you know, they're playing, like, for the NFL. Because, like, the NFL and the movie, they all went on strike. And so, but they still had a season to play. And so what they decided to do is, you know, the, the, um, the league decided to go out and get all these, like, you know, replacement athletes and still just salvage the season and figure out what to do next year. So you get all these guys coming in. And, of course, you know, they're horrible and they stink in the beginning. And there's just all this funny stuff in it. Um, but then they, they start to do well. And people start to, like, want to watch them. And it starts to be very entertaining. And they're still starting to fill up the stands. And now the owners, people are like, oh, they're making us money, you know. But then they end up striking a deal with the real players. And so now, they're right before, like, their last game. And uh, 
they're in the locker room and Gene Hackman is the coach and uh, he says you know um, he says you guys have been given like a second chance you know most athletes don't get that and he says you know for you there is no tomorrow you know there's nothing tomorrow so that makes you very very dangerous and they're like yeah you know because they got nothing left whatever it's all to the wind let's just go all out who cares? Let it ride. I don't even have a tomorrow. It doesn't even really matter. So I'm just giving it everything I got right now. And the parallel to that, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, just give it all away. Don't think like you own that stuff or that has to control you or that's really that important. It's all mine anyways and I got your life anyways. Let it ride. Just go. If I'm telling you go, just go. Because you are very, very dangerous. Because I'm in your corner. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So what do we do with the observations though? Like it's 2013. Let's talk about some of this, right? So the first observation was Jesus' words didn't match with Peter's thoughts. Okay, so what can I do like with about that today, this morning? Well, here's what we could do. Number one is we could seek understanding and clarity. Whenever things are like, they seem off or not quite clear, it's like, well, I really thought God was in this or I thought he would do this or I thought he would do that. Don't be stuck there and then, like, basically drive yourself nuts or let the enemy drive you nuts with just doubt and discouragement, and then eventually it just paralyzes you. That's not the answer. The answer is to seek understanding and seek clarity. That means hopefully we do what doesn't come natural to us, which hopefully means we hit the knees first. Hopefully it means we reach out. Hopefully it means we start to include others. That's what we want to do. And that's what Peter did. He's like, whoa, 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 this isn't making any sense. So he's like, Jesus... You know, I'm the Pope. Like, you know, he like calls him over to the corner. Hey, listen, that's not going to happen. Don't tell these people that. But at least he did the part where he went and acknowledged and took, and took initiative and pulled Jesus off to the side. At least he's doing the seeking part. You know, he's kind of way off in his theology. But at least he did the part where he pulled him aside and he talked to him. And so that's what we want to do. When things don't match up to what we're thinking, when God's ways, God's methods, God's timing does not match up, Let's at least be guilty of seeking and trying to clarify. Let's at least be guilty of that. I've got a quote up here from um, Chuck Swindoll. It says that when you suffer and lose, that does not necessarily mean you're being disobedient to God. In fact, it might mean you're right in the center of His will. The path of obedience is often marked by times of suffering and loss. And I like that quote, and I think it plays into this a little bit here, because I think sometimes some Christians, especially us Christians in the Western part of the world, we very easily equate God's happiness and God's blessings with, like, easiness and comfort. When in reality, sometimes that's true. That Sometimes that's definitely true. There's times in the Bible it says when Israel, um, you know, was just rose to a world power, it says um, silver was as common as stones. Like, they were just rolling in it. God was just blessing him that way. But then there was other times when David was hiding in caves by himself and he was right in the middle of God's plan. And so we can get into trouble when we start to like just judge and dictate our circumstances based on what we might think. Right? Jesus, Jesus is coming to him. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to die. Like I need to pay for the sins first. Like Then this other stuff will happen. Peter's like, no. Sometimes we might think that oh man, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, I've been trying to be faithful here, and it just seems like 
brick wall, brick wall, brick wall, or in fact, maybe going backwards. But it may be right in the center of God's will. Now, the other side of that is also, we could be flat out being rebellious before God and not repentful, and he could be causing things to fall down around us. Because he does that too. So the idea is, let's seek out understanding and clarity. We've got fellow brothers and sisters. There's tons of teaching. There's the Bible. And at the very least, there's a God who wants to hear from us. Got to utilize it. So that's one application we could do. When our thoughts don't match up with Jesus' words, we can seek understanding and clarity. The second observation was Jesus had zero tolerance for the wrong mind. So in 2013, what do you do? Like if that doesn't maybe sound like the most loving thing to do, what does that look like, right? In 2013, like what does that look like around people in situations? Well, the application is adopt a zero tolerance policy. Adopt a zero tolerance policy. And I don't mean that towards like other people. I mean a zero-tolerance policy towards anything that might come in and divert your attention from or cause you to compromise in certain areas that you know God has made clear. Zero-tolerance. Zero. And I remember Chuck Swindle, I remember being on a flight um, missionary uh, trip to Africa, and I was actually uh, with the basketball team, and we were on the flight, and um, we're all in there talking about stuff, and... Um, we happen to, uh, you know, we're all young guys. So we stumble upon the passage of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You know, young guys, you know, lusting is a real deal thing, you know, and college age, and he got to join together with other brothers, you know, to deal with that. I mean, that's the reality. Like, otherwise, you just get left by yourself, you get pummeled, and you make bad choices. So we're on the plane, and we're talking about this stuff, and a couple guys are like, hey, you know, let's take a look at this passage, and you know, uh, let's go through it. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, I just heard a message, you know, last week from, you know, this pastor guy, his name is Chuck Swindoll. And the terminology that he used to describe our approach to sin of just aggression. And he said, you grab it by the throat. He goes, you'd be vicious with it. Anything comes in that you know should not be there or that's contrary or cause us to compromise to what God has made clear to us. Take it by throat and you get it out of there. You just be vicious with it. Because like we talked about last time, a little bit of leaven just works itself through. And as far as Satan concerned, he doesn't really care as on the timetable. He just wants us to fall eventually and crumble eventually. And whether that takes a year or 27 years, he doesn't really care. So what we want to do as Christians is zero tolerance policy. No, I can't let my eyes see that. No, I can't let my ears do that. No, I have to fill myself with God today. I have to. Even though I go on to go play some games. No, I have to. Zero tolerance. You got to just clear that stuff out. Because Satan loves just like a little bit of compromise and just give him like a little bit of an inch. And just keep the door a little bit open. Kind of like my kids in class. Like the word no is just like... It doesn't exist. It's just, it's all negotiable, apparently. I didn't know that. I didn't really grow up in a home like that. You know, it's just all negotiable. Well, Mr. Murphy, like, we could take back the detention if, like, and what if I do this? And there's, you know, sometimes in life, like, there's those gray areas and maybe we can negotiate some things. And the Bible says it's good to be shrewd. 
But in certain areas, when God says to Jesus, hey, listen, you've got to go pay for the penalty of sins. It has to be done. Jesus has tunnel vision, laser focus. It's got to be done. And I don't care who might come in my path and tell me otherwise. I can't have it. I can't hear it. Because I know that stuff could just creep in and do me damage. So it's like, man, one of the most dangerous things for us Christians is just to be complacent and be compromising. That's a killer. And it just saps us dry. Saps us dry. So Jesus had a zero tolerance. Our application is, let's adopt a zero tolerance policy. Specifically towards what we know God has for us. Zero tolerance for anything otherwise. Let's do it. And then the third observation was, life is found in a surprising place. So what's the application to that? 2013. What do I do? So Jesus says, like, if you give your life away, then you'll actually find it. Okay. Well, here's what I think helps us in 2013. The application is, we want freedom. And freedom is not found in control. It is found in surrender. Freedom or life is not found in control. It's found in surrender. I think for most people, that's pretty tough to swallow and pretty hard to deal with. I think most of us might think the better control and handle I have on certain things, like, that makes me happier because I'm in control of that. And, like, I can handle that, or I think I can handle that, right? But it doesn't, just doesn't pan out that way. In fact, Jesus, like, says the opposite. Give that stuff away. Give that stuff. It'll free you up, and then you'll start to experience it. And then you won't have like this burden of having to kind of like hold on to it and control it. And that's what it does. It like tightens us up and just, uh, you know, imprisons us. Ecclesiastes, it has this passage. Um, Ecclesiastes 11.1, it says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. So cast your bread on the waters after many days, some days, one days, three days, five days, a hundred days, I don't know. It'll come back to you. And the biblical principle behind that is, when it comes to God and it comes to things that we want in life and what we desire, God wants to be the source of that. He wants to be the source. He wants to be the source for that. And so typically the way it works in the Bible is when we want something that bad, what we do is we cast our bread. We cast that thing on the waters. We cast it to God. And in due time, it will come back. I don't know how it will come back, when it will come back. But the idea is usually something that we want so badly. So, you know, I want, you know, I remember, you know, praying for a wife, praying for Julie. Man, I want a wife, you know, so badly. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm definitely a strange person. And, you know, it's, I don't know how it's ever going to match up. And I'm so quirky. And there's certain things I really want and I would appreciate. And am I being selfish by one of those things? You know, how's it all work? But I know for sure that's one area in my life that I just cast it. You know, on the waters, just to see, you know, what would happen. I want a wife that bad. But you know what, Lord? I am not going to wear myself out going every possible place and being consumed to finding a female everywhere and dating them and getting to meet them and having that just run in control in my life. I'm just not going to do it. I'll keep my eyes open and notice. What's wrong with noticing? But I'm not going to let it, like, control me. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And what happens is over time, you know, there's a, there's a change, there's a switch, you know, going on where it's like, 
I don't have to micromanage and control that. I can trust God with that. In the meantime, I'm learning things, you know, about myself and about things that are really important, what really matters. Money and finances, that's another huge one for us. Don't want to hold on to it and it's like security penny and, you know, because you want to be frugal and you want to be wise, but at the same time, you want to be generous when God calls us to be generous. And it's amazing the freeing power that it has when he's just like, God's called me to give here. This one's going to hurt and sting, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to. And then that pattern of just doing that, man, just frees us up. And imagine if, those are just a couple areas in life. If we just take our life as a whole and we say, I don't want it. Lord, take all that stuff. Hopes, dreams, ambitions. I know you put them there. It's in your timing and in your plan. In the meantime, I got today and right now, and that's what I want to focus on. Right now, I know I got to go to work. Jaren's flipping out and whining, and, you know, it's irritating. You know, today I can choose to be like a good father, not get mad at him and whack him in anger, but do it for the right reasons. I could choose not to get into a fight with Julie because of it and have short patience because I had a day of kids just stupid questions and laziness and just irritation so I could come home with short patience, which honestly I've done more times than not, unfortunately, you know, to be truthful. Or, you know, I could really lean in and press into God as much as I could throughout the day and try and bring home my best to my wife. That's the choice. We don't have much money in our checking account, you know, like right now. So to tithe, you know, that's, that's a big deal. So I could write that thing, you know, and you should, like, you, you get emotional, like, when you do it, and you put it into practice. And you say, you know, Lord, have it. You know? Because what you're doing, you're crucifying part of yourself on the cross. Like, that hurts. That's not something that comes easy. It does not come easy. For him to pay that price and that cross, to carry that cross and, like, get crucified on that thing, that hurts. And your flesh is like, no! And it's screaming back and fighting every step of the way. Freaking hurts, right? It does. But that's what we got to do. That's what we're called to do. And all we, thankfully, all we get is to that. Because I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad about that because I could screw up like three or four days in a row really easily. That's the honest truth, right? That's where we're at. But that's what being a disciple is. We're talking about having the mind of a disciple. I mean, it's tunnel vision. It's laser focus on what God has for us. It's clearing out and just boxing out all the crap that's just trying to come in and bombard us. That's what we want to do. That's what we're trying to focus on. Man, it is so much more than like, you know, showing up to a Bible study or showing up to a church service. It's like, God, that's just so bare minimum. It's ridiculous, right? There's just so much more to this. So what we're going to do is... Um, oh, I wanted to share you with the, uh, this one quote here that I just uh, thought was great from A.W. Tozer. It says, The true follower of Christ will not ask, If I embrace this truth, what will it cost me? God, how guilty of, am I of that? Rather, he will say, This is truth. God, help me to walk in it. Let come what may. That's like... That's adult status, right? That's like mature Christian status right there. 
You know, to be able to actually say that and actually mean that on more days than not, well, just today, right? To actually mean that. All right, Lord, whatever comes down the pike, let's do it. It's a big deal. So let me leave you with two questions. We'll close with a song. First question is, are you, am I, are you being as intentional, strategic, and focused as possible for becoming a type of man or woman that God has called you to be? That's an honest question we've got to ask ourselves. Got to. And I hope to God we have enough courage to face that with all truth and honesty. Are you being as intentional, strategic, and focused as possible for becoming the type of man or woman that God has called us to be? That's a question we've got to ask ourselves on a regular basis. And if we're really serious about it, we'll also ask other people to help us with that. That's the truth. Now, I don't know how you answer that. Might be a yes. Oh man, if so, you just got to keep on keeping on. That is good stuff right there. And if it's a no for whatever reason, we got to see why. And that's why here's the second question, the follow-up. What are some things that make it difficult for you to pursue and strive after what God has for you? What are some things that are like a barriers that make it difficult for you to pursue and strive after what God has for you? Like some things got to go to the cross. What are some things that make it difficult for you to pursue and strive after? What are some things that make it difficult? No, because God has that plan. He has that will. He had that plan. He had that will for Jesus to go on that cross, like to pay for those sins. And Peter, for a moment in time, made that difficult. He made that tough. There was religious leaders and Pharisees that made that difficult, that made that tough. Jesus himself made that difficult and tough. He was in that garden. He's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I think for some of us who may have things in our lives that make it difficult and tough, harder than it has to be to really following through with what God might have for us. We might have things in our lives, you know, that distract us and just cloud our vision, distract us and cloud our hearing. And hopefully, we just got to be honest about it and, you know, see what those things are. Whether it be time, whether it be other people, bad influences in whatever way, I mean, it could just take a, a ton of different forms. But we've got to be honest about that stuff. You know, and confront God and tell Him about it and then try and be repentful of it because that's the key. Seeing it, repenting of it and saying, God, I don't want it. And just try and move on the next day. It might call it to repent again the next day. But hey, listen, at least He handled it the first time when He brought it to your attention. Let's be guilty of that too, you know. So what we'll do is we'll uh, stand and we'll uh, sing uh, that Lead Me to the Cross song. And then, and then we'll come back together and uh, we'll close in prayer.